Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Networth NBA podcast, where today we're going to talk all things National Basketball Association and handicap the league. And it's a beautiful day, Spread. It's my favorite day of the year. Do you know what today is, Spread? It's NBA opening night. It's NBA opening day. We have basketball. The long, long, long wait is over. I don't have to pretend to be interested in playoff baseball. I don't have to try to fill my time with random NFL stuff. NBA basketball is here. And also here, Spread, did you know that our guest today is our first American guest? Wow, that's fantastic. I was and going back through and thinking about it. Too, so we got that's right. I'm outnumbered here. Today. Well, joining us is um, one of our very best friends. You know, the actual, the reason that Spread and I even talk um, is because of this individual, the George Washington of gambling Twitter, the whale father himself, <laughs> at whale underscore capper. Of course, you know him from the Deep Dive podcast, his great work on Matchbook, and just about everywhere else. You know, we were talking just before the pod, uh, you know, whale, how many hours of uh, content are you up to? I mean, are you going to put this, start putting this on tax forms yet? <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys. Thank you for having me. Excited that you're doing this. Uh, believe me, uh, I value people who are betting their hard-earned money on a sport, handicapping themselves and what they have to say, what their angles are, what they are seeing. Uh, and it has long, long been a market inefficiency where we have not had good NBA handicapping-focused content to consume. So I really appreciated all of the uh, previews you guys did. Uh, love that you're taking this on. Have loved the, the net worth because yeah, we first know each other because we all were betting tennis. Uh, and I know net worth started so that you could fill an inefficiency in women's tennis handicapping, which, again, was perfect for me because I don't have the bandwidth to cover both men's and women's tennis. But I wanted to bet it from time to time. Uh, and hearing all your guys' perspective through the years has been hugely appreciated. So thanks for what you're doing and uh, excited to be your first U.S. guest. Absolutely our pleasure, and thank you for that. We're quite flattered. I don't know about you, Spread, but I'm blushing a little. Oh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the best. All right, well, before we get started here on, on some thoughts on the season, um, just wanted to learn a little bit more about yourself. You know, obviously we talk all the time, but just a little background for our listeners. Um, you know, you're a big NFL handicapper, but I also know that um, you're focused on tennis. You're, you're a big NBA handicapper as well. So, you know, how did you really get into the NBA? Um, you know, was it always kind of your favorite? Did you start there? Did you start with NFL? Give us a little background on you and uh, your handicapping history. Okay, so my history is uh, is probably not. It's, there'll be some surprises here. I'll throw you a couple curveballs. I don't know that I, I've ever talked to you guys about this, but I'll, I'll lay it all out as concisely as I can because we want to get into the NBA talk. Um, but uh, almost certainly, I think it's pretty common for us U.S. bettors to get started betting, betting NFL. Um, and that's simple because it happens on the weekend. It's kind of an easy transition from playing fantasy sports to betting on sports. And, uh, and it happened. You know, you only got to pay attention to, you know, 16 uh, games a week for 17 weeks a year. And so, it, you know, you don't really have to be a super specialized, super uh, you know, expert in the field to get a little action on the game and to enjoy it and to make your try to make your opinion worth some money. Uh, and then you do that for long enough. And, you know, let's say you have one season where you happen to do quite well. Then you think like, oh, I'm good at this. Like, I should take this more seriously. I'm going to get more. I'm going to do I'm going to get even more involved next year. I'm going to up my stakes. I'm going to pay attention to more news feeds and try to develop a model. Right. You try to take your game to the next level because you think you know, you have some sort of talent or skill at it. Uh, and then over the course of several years, you realize, oh, no, this is much harder than I 
thought. There is a lot more that goes into this than I realized. And I'm competing against some people who have, you know, absolute expert models, expert opinions. And I'm just sitting here just trying to figure out how a market works. Right. And so uh, NFL was really a tough place to start, tough place to really sustain winning. Uh, and so then you start, you know, you know, if you have survivorship, if you are grinding, if you want to get better at this, you got to figure out, well, okay, well, how am I, you know, how am I going to get better? What do I do? Like, you can't take class, you can't go to grad school. Like, there's really not a lot of av avenues to just improve your performances better besides just trial and trial and error. Um, but thankfully, we have uh, a medium like Twitter where you can put your information out there, you can develop a network and you can learn handicapping angles, learn, you know, how to do better uh, and uh, kind of improve your performance. And so I started the Twitter account, started uh, putting my NFL picks out there, started getting feedback from people, developing a following. Uh, and then I realized like, okay, well, once NFL is over, uh, I need something, I need some sort of content here to continue to, number one, fill my interest in sports betting when there was no football to be played. And and number two, just to kind of broaden the network and learn more and just kind of get get better still. And so I, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll try college basketball. That did not work out well. I did not have any kind of skill or specialization at all for college basketball. I don't really, I can't really watch the sport personally. It's very boring to me. Totally uh, and so, <laughs> and that, if I'm not watching to, to ground truth what I'm doing numerically, mm -hmm. then I really can't win. Like I need, I need a, uh, to be able to see a lot of the action myself in order to know what was lucky, what was not. I can't just break down a box score. I can't keep it all at the math level. I need to kind of, you know, have some sort of ground truth in having seen the games. And so not watching college basketball, but trying to handicap it was virtually impossible for me. And so I gave that up. And then uh, I was like, okay, well, we'll try, uh, we'll try a little NBA and uh, we'll try a little tennis. And Granted, I had never played tennis before, but I was like, there was an, I, you know, I knew that there was like this huge data source out there from Tennis Abstract. I knew I could apply, you know, go scrape that data and try to develop some, you know, algorithms that beat the market. And, you know, then I figured, okay, I know how to, I know I, I can, I can make this worthwhile. I can develop an edge here. I can come up with a couple angles that are winning and just hit those. And, uh, and, and, uh, that'll fill my time between, uh, you know, the N NFL ending and the NFL beginning, right? And then, uh, so I so I bet uh, you know they had the men's tennis tour for three four years. We got to know each other because we were talking tennis betting, and we you know mm -hmm. we have a we have a tennis betting chat that's that's thriving. Uh, and then like I think about four four years ago, I was like you know what like all of the same kind of numbers, all of the same approach that I'm using for the NFL and for tennis would also presumably apply to NBA. Like there's a huge sample size. There's lots of games. Like, let's just go scrape some data and try to build a, a, an MBA model and see if we can figure this out. And I had been warned by a lot of people to that point that don't even bother. NBA is unbeatable. <laughs> like, it's, it's just this. There's, there's no point. Like, don't even don't even bother. It's all and rigged. It's, like, it's all rigged. Yeah, it's right. It's all it's fixed. Re refs fixing games and players throwing you know, shaving and, points. And, yeah, players shaving points and <laughs> coaches resting superstars when you don't expect it. And it's it's pointless. Don't even bother. And I was like, okay, well, I, I started watching uh, the sport more. I got into kind of the drama surrounding, you know, the the uh, LeBron versus the Warriors and, uh, you know, kind of really sunk my teeth into the sport as a fan. And I was like, okay, I like this. I can watch this. I'm enjoying this. It's per it's a pretty decent compliment to the NFL. 
and tennis in terms of when it's peaking. Like, this is good. Uh, and because I can really only handicap like one, maybe two sports at the same time. It's very tough to kind of, do, you know, kind of split your focus. Anyway, the, um, so, I, so I started, started uh, doing a model for NBA uh, in four seasons ago. And it had great success through the month of November. And I was like, I've got this figured out. Screw all those people who said this was an unbeatable <laughs> market. Like this was this like all you needed to do was kind of go to John Hollinger's efficiency stats and scrape those and dump them <laughs> in a spreadsheet and combine them with pace. And you got it all figured out. I was like, wow, people are dumb. And uh, your unit size. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and then through the month of December, it, I just got absolutely whipped uh kind of peaking i think with i got swept on like christmas day and had dumped everything i won and then some wiped out like a winning season in the nfl and i was like holy crap like this is awful i was miserable around my family i was you know it was it was, it was the worst holiday season i could remember i ruined christmas uh, because <laughs> i had no respect for how hard it was to handicap NBA. And, um, but that like kind of solidified my, like, uh, just kind of my drive to, to beat it, you know, to do better, to be able to, uh, to become a winning player. Um, and so I went through, you know, I went through the rest of that season, still handicapped and still posted, lost, 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 got to the playoffs. And what I noticed was like once, you know, just by, just by forcing myself to pay attention day in, day out, week in, week out, I had a really good read on all of the playoff teams, all the playoff, you know, the coaches, the tendencies, their adjustments, you know, what they were, you know, what could they do from an adjustment standpoint, what had worked in the past, what, you know, who was peaking, who was tailing off over the course of the season in terms of player performance. So like I had a good feel for the league and the fabric of the league as a whole, just from betting it. And that first, you know, postseason, I just absolutely raked. And I was like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Like, I'll just uh, I'll take my licks during the regular season, but I will learn enough that come April I'll be sh- razor sharp and I'll just destroy the playoffs. Like that's a fair, that's a that's a good approach. That's what I'll do. This next year rolled around, I did the same exact sort of thing. This time I wasn't expecting to win during the regular season, so I was much more willing to like try different things and apply different you know f- theories and like see if I could come up with a way to develop you know some some approach specifically to team level efficiency stats i was i was like dead i was convinced i was so so locked in on this that like the market is basing their numbers off of team efficiency stats that are like season average to that point Mm -hmm. but if you could come up with the right time windows to look at data you could get a much better idea of how a team was performing at any given time than you could just by looking at their season average uh, offensive defensive efficiency and pace and so i was like okay we just got to figure out these right time windows to average you know like let's look over the last five games last seven games last 14 games you know like let's let's look at these different windows and try to come up with the right weighting scheme so that we can capture kind of the micro uh you know the times when teams are playing like a top five team in the league because like you know like like last year is a great example. Like you looked at the season long stats for the Orlando magic and they were not a great team, right. At all. But if you were kind of zeroed in on like five game windows, then, you know, right around uh, Martin Luther King day, you started seeing like, Oh wow, this team is really playing like a top 10 team, 
not like a bottom five team, which is what their stats at that time would have told you. And so you're like, oh, okay, they are they're better, really, than people realize. And you can kind of pick on that inefficiency in the market. And, you know, then that carried into, oh, they won like three games in a row against some pretty tough competition. Like, oh, I'm on to something good here. And then you kind of compound that into, holy crap, like they're eight to one to win the Southeast. And here, you know, the the um, you know, the Hornets were hosting the All-Star game. They were limping into the All-Star game, you know, All-Star break, you know, like leaking oil. And, you know, the Heat were expected to do pretty well as well because they had some stars, but they were all injured. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, whoa, this might be a good bet on 8-1 to for the Magic because I'm looking specifically at this time window when it, and this data is telling me that they're a top 10 team, clearly maybe top 5. And, uh, and so then, yeah, the next thing you know, you're putting max bets down at every book on Magic to win the Southeast at 8-1. to and uh, that consumes your whole spring. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that- it's, a, it's a great concept, and it's something that we talk about in tennis at all time. It's kind of the idea of form, looking to see, you know, it's a long season. It's really a marathon. There's 82 games. What you did the first 40 um, doesn't always indicate what you're going to do for the next 40. So I love that. That was something I learned last year, trying to figure out kind of what the, that window was. Um, so that's a really great concept. <laughs> yeah, so that uh, that was kind of my first kind of introduction into – um, like, okay, there are different ways to approach this. You can look at, you know, specifically trying to identify highs and low spots for teams over the course of this 82 game season. And, uh, and then, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll capture, we'll try to, we'll, we'll, we'll jump on some hot teams. We'll sell some cold teams and this will help us kind of beat the, you know, beat the market over the course of the year, or at least break even. Like that was my, that was my entire goal. Like I wasn't trying to get rich. I wasn't trying to, you know, add to my bankroll. I was literally just trying to go from, October to April without losing a ton of money. And so uh, I think that's a reasonable goal. If you're listening to this and you're like, I'm going to start handicapping the NBA, I don't think you should think anything other than that. Um, and uh, yeah, the second year I was kind of, I was close. Uh, like I pushed hard at the end to see if I could get positive uh, for the regular season. Didn't quite make it. Um, and then in that postseason, again, I had just incredible success. And God, that that this was about the time that my Twitter was really starting to develop a pretty serious following. The Action Network people were like, "Hey, we want you to use our app to track your plays because people all follow you for NBA. No one else is doing this." And so then that kind of like launched me into another level of just kind of public spotlight of of my plays. And I had a, another great uh, post season, uh, and um, and then. The following year, I kind of stumbled into something that I know you guys want to get into, which is like, man, these spreads and totals in the NBA, they miss by a lot all the freaking time. And there really doesn't make any sense to be laying minus 110 juice. And maybe if I chip away at that, I can make it even easier to my, on myself and I can finally get a regular season where I'm not losing money. Like, this is great. And so... Got, I basically carried it the third season betting it every single game, sold points on everything I bet on, uh, maximum they, they would let me do it five times, and uh, got to the end of the season, and in, I'm looking at my, my final tally, and I'm up 10 units, and I'm like, yes, like, finally beat the NBA regular season, like, <laughs> hell, hallelujah, hell yes, and... Uh, and I was like, I wonder what it would have been like if I hadn't sold points. <laughs> I did the math and I was like, oh, my God. Like, instead of up 10, I would have been down 20. Like, oh, my God. Like, this is crazy. Like, that le- that singular 
uh, angle took me from negative to positive over the course of the season. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is actionable. Now I can, I can integrate that formally in my process going forward. And, um, and then that postseason, the third year I was doing it, that was the year I projected the, all of the, all of, I, I hit every single, um, you had the perfect playoff uh, bracket. I hit the perfect yeah. playoff bracket. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't. I did not do well at all, game by game betting, for whatever reason. Because a lot, a lot of it was I was defending. Uh, I was defending positions that I had taken in the series markets a lot. So I gave a lot back, um, game by game. But I made a freaking mint on series betting, especially. Like, I think I hit a five to one on the Celtics to beat the. Who did the Celtics beat that year? Uh, um, the Celtics beat someone to play the uh, to play the uh, to make the Celtics Eastern Conference in the conference, in the conference in the Eastern Conference semifinals. The Celtics beat the was it the Sixers? Celtics beat the Sixers to play the uh, might have been the Sixers. Uh, the Wizards Cap- that year. They would have been five. To this one. was the year after that. Yeah, okay. I think I think it was the Sixers. Celtics were like the Celtics were huge dogs because th- they had lost Kyrie Irving for the season and they were playing with the the, you know, the rookies and. You know, Kids were out there. Oh God, you're right. I think uh, anyway, that was the Sixers. Oh. I think it was. Yeah, I think I had them five to one. That was I blocked that out of my brain mostly. That was the year. That was the year because yeah, because Ben Ben Simmons had gone on that 21 game win streak down the stretch, and people were all high on the Sixers. Uh, the Sixers won their first oh. playoff series, and then the Celtics beat them. Uh, and then uh, yeah, and then the Cavs were dogs in like every playoff series, and I was like, look, LeBron's not leaving Cleveland without going to the finals again. Like this is stupid. And so I just had huge positions on every Cavs series. And a couple of them, they were big dogs. Like, they were huge dogs to the Raptors, I remember. Uh, and I think they were dogs to the Celtics? I can't remember. They might have been. But whatever the case was, the Eastern Well, Conference, Celtics did have home court that year. They did, right? yeah. Yeah. They, anyway, the, all, all, of that, all of that came through in spades. And um, so I was pretty fired up. And I had some huge positions on the Warriors that year, too, from – like mid-season they were struggling and they were like i don't know plus 150 or 200 or something and i was like nobody's beating this team come on and uh yeah so overall in the playoffs i did really quite well uh and then last year like have continued to kind of up my game and you know put some important pieces together into the quantitative puzzle and uh had my best regular season to date and i don't you know it was it was a roller coaster I started out down 20 units uh, in the first three or four weeks, like the worst run of my life ever in anything. And it was in the NBA. And I was like, this is insane. Uh, I should, maybe I should not bet the sport anymore. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Uh, and then went from minus 20 to plus 40 over the course of the rest of the season. And um, Nothing like know, starting then, hot. Yeah, jeez. All right. And, well, uh, yeah, so that was it. All right, so here I am now. And so we're taking off the first two months, two weeks. We're taking off the first couple weeks of the season, so I don't start twenty units in the hole. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> well, no, I do that, and I was actually going to bring that up. I had the same problem, um, and I actually went down to point two units the last two or three years the, until Christmas because I think that there's no way to actually see how the t- these changes are going to affect the teams. Yeah, I, and this year is probably a good example of that. I would guess. Yeah, right? more turnover so much than turnover than there's ever been. Yeah. 
I'm thinking of yeah. myself, I'm waiting to at least 10 games or so. But just to break up the conversation just a little bit, I want to pause for a sure. question here. You know, well, we've had a lot of things we've talked about during our division previews, and I was thinking that you'd be a good kind of arbiter for a few things that Spread and I have uh, right. not, not so privately disagreed upon. And the first, <laughs> and I think the foremost topping, and we've talked a bunch about this in our chat, is the Toronto Raptors. I couldn't be more excited to bet unders on the Raptors. The number does keep ticking up. I think it was 45 and a half to start the offseason. I saw 47 and a half today. So the market is against me here. Uh, spread, of course, on the side of the market. He likes the Raptors this year. So be the tiebreaker here. What What are you expecting from the Raptors this year? Is, are they an overlook or an underlook? Mm, I have them at 46. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. So under. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I uh, I think uh, it, it's a this is a fascinating question and the Eastern Conference overall uh, is probably worth spending more time wringing your hands over as far as a preseason handicap goes because uh, there is more likelihood of there being some uncertainty there in terms of who actually makes the playoffs. Um, but the Raptors are a team that I would expect to come in under and not but but not by like. But not by like you know go put away your 401k on it type of uh, type of confidence. Um, I guess my my general two cents on the Raptors. I do think that Siakam is an important piece to building a franchise. Uh, I think a lot of uh, GMs around the league look at Siakam and are jealous that uh, Messiah gets to kind of use him as the anchor to build a franchise. Um, but they also have, this is like a transition year for them where they're going to have to kind of find ways. I feel like to move a number of the vets off of this team in order to kind of give themselves the flexibility to, you know, put some superstars around him, uh, perhaps even, uh, pursue Giannis, which is an interesting and exciting kind of, uh, you know, player narrative. That's Do you think the Raptors could trade for, for Giannis? Or you think that's an off-season thing? They wait for him to be a free agent, clear some space, and make a big swing. No chance this season, for sure. Okay. Uh, probably not via trade, other unless it's a sign and trade kind of thing, because yeah. Giannis has made it clear that he's leaving. Um, but there's there's a lot of smoke and a lot of ties between Giannis and Messiah, and I suspect that there uh, that the smoke is not fake. Right. Like that, like like people wouldn't be talking about this if there wasn't some, you know, some reason for it, really. And so I'm I'm woke on this, that they were they intend to put Giannis and uh, Siakam together as sort of the nucleus nucleus of their franchise when they can pry Giannis away from Milwaukee. Um, I don't think the NBA would be shy away at all from putting a super duper star in Toronto. Uh, And uh, I think Giannis is kind of the most important player across the fabric of the Eastern Conference for the next 10 years. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that because of the, like, because if, if, you're, if you're operating under the understanding that that's their long-term goal and that they're going to try to kind of be willing to move pieces if things start to go sideways on them, I think that, lead, that you know, that creates a longer tail for their, total, their win total. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if they have a couple of injuries early... If, you know, if, cause, because in order to get that number, what that, that they, and if they go, if they go over that, it's going to have to be one thing happens. And that's, they come out of the gates with their hair on fire. They are playing with confidence and pride and we are still the champions. And we, you know, 
we are playing hard when everyone else is figuring shit out. We are putting our foot on the gas uh, to prove to the league that we were deserving champions last year, that we don't, we can still win without Kawhi. Like those, those are narrative motivational angles that I think do matter in the NBA, especially early in the season um, when teams could be, you know, fumbling a little bit. And like, we've seen it. We've, we've seen it super clearly. The Warriors did this the year after they won their first title. People all in that whole offseason were like, ah, whatever. They were fluky. They were lucky. They didn't have to play anyone on their way. And then they, once they got there, they played LeBron and a bunch of hobos. You know, like people really put them down after that first title. And what did they do? They came out and they lit the league on fire the next season. Won like, what, 26 in a row or something insane out of the gate? Like, uh, like, and they, and went on to win what 73 that year. Like that was the year that they broke the all time wins record. And I think a ton of that was fueled by, you know, we are going to try hard in November, October, November, December, when everybody else is just still, you know, kind of getting into game shape, figuring out their roles, who's playing what, where. And, uh, and then I, you know, if you want to go back a little farther, the Celtics did it too, after they won their title. Uh, over the Lakers the next season they came out and they just ran junk on the league through through December then it turned out there were you know they sustained a bunch of injuries to you know Kevin Grant most notably uh, uh, Kevin uh, uh, Garnett most notably mm-hmm. and um, you know and, and that kind of derailed their season so I guess if I what I'm saying is if Toronto kind of has that chip on their shoulder and they're playing hard out of the gate they could compile a ton of wins early in the season, which is going to make put a ton of pressure on that number. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they yeah. if they get twenty wins uh, in their first thirty three games, yeah, I'm not that's going to be. A, yeah, right. If they, if they, yeah, if they're if they're twenty and ten uh, through thirty games, you're going to feel you know you're going to be you're going to have a little sweat on your brow. Um, and I think that's possible just based on the fact that they may try harder. Um, now, uh, now if if they sustain one or two injuries, if they are middling around Christmas. Uh, if, um, if they can get out from under a couple of contracts that are weighing them down, uh, you know, if they can, you know, move a guy like Gasol, move, maybe even move Lowry, uh, then, you know, I think those are the moves they need to make to position themselves for the future. And if they do that in season, then you're in great shape because then you're talking about, okay, we're going to develop some of our younger players. We're going to, you know, we're not going to make the playoffs this year, but we're going to be active in free agency, you know? If, if that becomes sort of the, the direction of the franchise, which I think is possible, then uh, the ender comes in, I think, no, no sweat. All right, Spread. Now, I know that as an AARP card member, you <laughs> might not actually know, but do you understand what Whale means when he says he's woke? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all up on <laughs> Okay, good. All right, good, good, good. Go. So are you excited about this idea of Giannis to the Raptors? I'm Actually, I've moved on to the fact that Whale likes the under and that I'm right and you're wrong. I moved right on to the fact that Giannis <laughs> well, might know, go to the I'm Raptors. I'm surprised you were all by yourself, and now this is, like, lost. There's a lot more people on this island than you They're realize They're starting now. to filter in. Vinny came in yeah. today. It seems like D-Money's thinking about buying property. Yeah, it's going to so, be very busy. Yeah. I'm glad that I bought early. Boy. It would be it would be in 20, 2021 for the uh, for the record it would be in twenty twenty. So right. yeah, my concern with whale and, and the sell off happening is that I think that the East is so weak and you're going to get so many free wins against Washington, Charlotte, Cleveland that that they're going to be in uh, playoff contention. You know, in January, and I think it's a lot harder to sell your fan base when you're like fifth or sixth. In, in the conference that you're going to sell some pieces off. So that would be my uh, reasoning why I don't see the sell-off happening. But um, you guys are right. If the sell-off happens, you know, it's going to be very hard for this team to go over. 
All right, well, I wanted to circle back on what you were talking about a little bit, your, your work around selling points. I know that you've spent a lot of time looking at historical rates and, and running some numbers. Like you said, you, you went back that one season, you sold points and kind of ran everything with standard juice and noticed a pretty wild difference. Um, you know, so in general, I, I think, you know, the way I understand the concept is when you went back and looked at some of the results against what was posted for the market, I think you noticed a wide range of variance in some of those outcomes. So in a world where you have such wide variance, um, it becomes more and more valuable to sell points, especially the way that books price them. So what I was curious at first to hear about from you is what's your your sense, of, I guess, really, what's your level of aggression there? Are you selling one point? Are you selling two? Are you trying to sell 10? Um, are, you, are you just constantly betting maybe five and six alt overs, alt unders, or alt spreads when, when you're doing this? Or is there kind of a point of, um, you know, where the return becomes a little bit less? It's a, it's a very interesting discussion, and I don't 100% know that I have all the answers. <clears throat> um, I can tell you that what I've been doing, which has been working, has been just trying to get to an average juice of about plus 100. Um, and this is kind of to say uh, that if you bet into a minus 110 line, <clears throat> your break-even uh, win probability is, what, 52.5%? Yeah. yeah, a little more than that, right? And, um, and then if, uh, if, for instance, if they're offering you, hey, we'll... we'll uh, We'll buy back from you a point on the total, and we'll give it to you for minus 103. Or we'll buy back a point and a half on the total, and we'll give that to you for plus, plus 103, right? Okay, well, now you've reduced your break-even probability from 52% to you know, 49, 50, right? Yeah. And that 2% that is reflected in that one to one and a half point sale that you made um, is value to the seller, in my opinion, um, by about uh, one and a half percent in terms of win probability. So, like, if I was doing the like, like basically, they're giving you you're get you're selling, um, you know, two and a half percent win probability back, but I think that the price that you're selling it for is only really worth about one percent. So the, you're capturing the other one and a half or so uh, in your in your, that's your favor. profit. Yeah, that's your profit on the sale. Yeah, and in in general, a lot of there's so much randomness in the NBA and so much variance that as long as I'm around fifty fifty, um, then I'm okay. I feel like I'm I'm in reasonable shape. Now, there are are times when I'm projecting scores or projecting outcomes where I have a greater edge than just say a couple points right because you, you know usually i'm looking for you know about five or three or five plays a night right on any given card and i'm not trying to force anything i'm trying just trying to pick through what i think are the the ones that create the most value and i'll usually have a couple that stand out where there's a pretty decent edge that i'm getting and if i can sell more than on those i will right because you can continue to sell and it continues to provide you value. But I think that that first point to point and a half is the biggest um, advantage you're gaining, right? The more and more you go, it starts to diminish, right? Um, so I, but, but that said, like I will sell more than a point and a half if I can, and especially in a game where I have a greater edge. I don't know if that makes sense. 
but yeah yeah it does and i think that's what i was kind of looking for so it sounds like you're just moving the number a little bit until you can get to some plus money because you're you're right what you're basically doing and i like the way you described that in terms of the implied probability Mm -hmm. you know you're pushing the odds to 50 percent when maybe you know the actual odds are like 51 percent or so and it's you know over time it's like almost putting money into a savings account as you continue to do that more and more and more it really builds up does it make sense to you spread yeah, it reminds me of poker almost, the fact that so many people could be profitable if it wasn't for the rate, but so many people just end up yeah. being break-even players because they're falling in between that 48 to 52% range. Yeah, that's right. All and right. Even to go to make it even more kind of numerical, like it literally is stacking pennies. Yeah. Like I'm probably stacking three to five cents on any given play, and but you do that, you know, you have 700 plays yeah. <laughs> over the course of the season. That's a couple units right there, uh, you know. You know, period. Uh, and um, yeah, and it, it, it happened to work out uh, especially well for me when I did that test two seasons ago. Uh, and I think I don't. I also don't think it was by chance that it worked out. Like I don't think like if you if, if you if you did an experiment and you were just like, okay, we're gonna sell points and we're gonna flip coins. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna pick five games a night, and we're gonna sell the most points that they'll. You know, we'll sell a point and a half on every game, and we'll just flip a coin to see if we bet the side or the total, and then we'll flip a coin to see if we bet the home or the away or the over or the under, right? Like if you made it total randomness, and you did this, you carried this experiment out. I don't think you could beat the vig. I don't think you would get, you would make money on this. I think one of the important parts of the process that made it valuable for me was that I would go through a card and there would be a handful of games that stood out to me as well-lined. And I think all of you, you know, everyone listening and you guys can probably, you know, associate with this, right? Like you've handicapped a tennis match, you've handicapped a basketball game, a football game, where you've looked at the spread and total, you've been like, oh yeah, they got that right. Right, like, oh yeah, that's Yeah, almost always. Yeah, that's good, that's a good line. That's a, that's a tight line. Like, I don't see an edge there. I'm going to skip that one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get to other ones, and you're like, okay, well, yeah, I can make a case that this side has an edge, but, it, you know, X, Y, and Z have to happen, right? Like, you know, like, they, like there's, a, there's a, a set of circumstances that plays into this happening. You know, a path, a path to victory, a game state, a, 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 you know, an injury that I think is more important than the market thinks. Like, like, you know, if you have a differentiating factor that you're applying to a given game and betting on it, then by, by almost by definition, that game that you're betting on probably has a little higher uncertainty than the game that everyone kind of looks at and shrugs their shoulders and says, yeah, that's a good line, right? And so I think that, it, you know, in general, all games across the NBA aren't created equally in terms of their potential outcomes. Like, a lot of games are going to cluster around what we expect will happen if everybody kind of plays to their average on that night, and there's really no situational factors, no differentiating factors, no injuries, no you know, no uh, motivational factors. Like, like if it's just an average game between two average teams, and it's a you know, it's a pick'em line with the you know, uh, you know, the league average total. Like, it's going to come in pretty close to that most of the time. Uh, and if, but if you're looking away from those, it's some of the more, um, you know, some of the more complicated games, some of the games that have those differentiating factors where the variability is broader and you're selling at the standard price that is exists for all NBA games assuming that they're all created equally 
then I think that's an important factor to consider in this. And I don't know if does that, does that all make sense? Yeah. 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 Ahead, I'd say, so my main question from this is, so we've all seen your uh, wonderful graphics that you put out. What is the discrepancy that you're looking for before you make these plays? Like, is one point enough? Do you like it to be at least two points off the line with your projection? What is your, what is your range here? When I'm projecting a score, I like to have about two and a half points uh, on a side or about three and a half points on a okay. total. Um, because that covers, that covers, a um, like about half of my standard deviation. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, in terms of a side, it's, it's more than a free throw in terms of a a total. It's more than a three pointer, you know? So, you know, that, that's, that, that I think is reasonable in terms of a lower limit. Um, a much more quantitative answer is possible to get Uh to, like you can specifically take, okay, well, here is what I'm projecting. You know, I'm I'm projecting a cover of minus three. I'm projecting that this to team A will cover. Okay, uh, tonight I'm I, I am projecting that the Lakers will cover minus three, fifty three percent of the time, and I can compare that to the Novig break even probability. Or I compare that to the the break even probability, including the Vig. And I can see, okay, I have one percent edge on that, and then I can decide, okay, well, is that enough to get involved in this, or are there better looks on the card, or do I just want to play that, even knowing that it's a small, small, small edge, and I just want action on the game for fun? You know, what I mean, like I, that I do go. Well, so through those how are you getting to that percentage? Because you're usually, so you're getting like what you think that each team is going to score, right? Yeah, right. So right, then, right. how do you, so? Let's say you projected tonight one eighteen to one thirteen. Uh, how would you know that that's right. gonna that they would cover the minus three fifty three percent of the time? So the one eighteen uh-huh. is the central tendency uh-huh. of that team's performance, but that team performance is itself a distribution. Okay, right? Like I'm willing to allow. Yeah, the Lakers could go out tonight and score seventy eight. Yeah. Or they could go out tonight and score 150, right? right? Like they, their their potential for performance is on an enormous, you know, enormous distribution. And I'm only putting on my plot for graphics purposes for you know public consumption. I'm only plotting what is the median uh-huh. of this big big old distribution, right? But I have but I have the whole I have the whole shape. I'm assuming you know a, a, a discrete distribution that they would score on it on that given night. And so I can actually say. You know, like once I know what the line is, once I, you know, once I know what the, you know, the, the standard line is, once I know what the line selling a couple points is, I can actually say, yeah, this is the percent of time that I would expect the Lakers to score 118 or greater. If the, uh, you know, because it's act, there's there's like a, there's a um, there are two teams obviously each has a distribution and you can compound the. Um, the percent exceedance by multiplying basically through the entire, you know, through the entire distribution. And that's a, it's a pretty straightforward um, math problem to let your computer solve. And so that's basically what I do. And I get, I get a number that is, um, you know, this percent of time, the, you know, team X will cover spread Y uh, and uh, kind of use that to make my decision as to whether I'm going to play it or not. Um, And, 
yeah. there's a little art, cool. art involved too. Yeah, I think this is real <laughs> rudimentary for noobs, but for, I think for me and a lot of the listeners, this is really. Yeah, spreads really building good stuff. a model whale. Well, no, I have a model. <laughs> ah, nice. I was, I was telling noobs before we started, before I jumped on Twitter, my model was basically just based off like point differential, and then I adjusted it myself manually off what I was seeing. And before I, I really thought this was like a sharp, awesome model until I got on Twitter and I saw how you guys were like constructing your models. But the funny thing is, it's worked pretty well for me, so I haven't really changed it. Like I do, you know, mess around and I have added more inputs and stuff like that. But I mean, it's it's been really basic, but it's it's actually worked for me uh, three out of the last four years. There you go. It doesn't I, have it, to be super complicated. It's it's absolutely does not. And uh, even more than, uh, even more so, I would say, if you're starting out, if you are not, you know, if you're not versed in some of the kind of more sophisticated math and probability that, you know, that exists out there, don't be afraid to do a simple model at all. Like, really, like, they, they absolutely can work. They absolutely will work. Uh, you know, like, there are ways that you can... Uh, approach this that are different than you know the the sh the you know the the sharks out there and um i have found i learned the hard way the first year i was losing 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 like a lot of my i was searching for an answer i was looking for why well, i need to fix this like okay i need to i need to bring in offensive rebound percentage i need to bring in the four factors i need to wait yep. up uh i need to you know i need to have uh some uh, some way of, of, of quantifying coaching uh, or, you know, like, Hey, I need to have a specific player value for when a guy gets, you know, get, gets rested. I need to know exactly how much the line is supposed to move. Uh, like you can, you can put as many gears, as many knobs, as many bells and whistles as you want in there. It's not always going to make it better. Uh, and I definitely learned that the hard way and, it, you know, it drove me crazy a little bit trying to, you know, trying to learn it the hard way. And, uh, I would say even what I'm doing now, what I'm describing may sound like complex and, and kind of high level, but the model that I'm using it at its core is like real simple team level performance, weighted averaging over different time windows and different decay functions. Like it's not, I'm not incorporating lots of, you know, PIPM, you know, for, you know, or, or, uh, you know, box, box plus minus advanced stats and, in, in uh, uh, I'm not doing the 538, you know, Raptor model for, you know, player level offensive and defensive contributions and trying to combine them in some numerical way. It's it's very much looking sort of at a team level um, team level performance that's, you know, capturing how are you playing at this time uh, and then how are how good are you overall compared to an NBA average team. So that I, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to try something simple and and I completely understand if you are doing something straightforward that's working and sticking to it as opposed to trying to make it more complicated that totally makes sense all right another tiebreaker question oh, Will. Here we go. for some reason for some reason i don't know this just doesn't make any sense to me spread seems to think that that you know dame lillard is a more important and better nba player than joel Embiid. so let's let's oh, let's, let's let's say for a second whale that you know uh, your dream comes true. You get a phone call from your favorite NBA team. They said, well, we want you to come be our GM. And guess what? The whole league's having a big draft. We're redoing the whole thing. It's your turn to pick, and you can take either Dame Lillard or Joel Embiid for this season. What do you think? Oh, my God. That is super close. 
See, Whale has uh, the advantage of staying up late enough to see how good Lillard really is. <laughs> it is close because the boom or bust, kind of the extremes for Embiid are greater and worse than Lillard. Uh, Lillard is like a stable quantity. He's good. He's much better than average. He's um, his 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 position uh, is becoming increasingly important in the NBA, uh, and um, and you know what you're getting, and you know it'll last X years. You know exactly how he'll uh, degrade based on his age and his position. Uh, so he's he's kind of a known quantity, whereas Embiid is not. Um, Embiid could go on and become one of the greatest ever, or he could get hurt, <laughs> or both. <laughs> like it's it's a it's a much more volatile um, uh, decision to take a guy like Embiid. Uh, so I guess my answer, because I'm a gambler, I guess I'm going Embiid. <gasps> oh, for sure. Yeah. I was worried there. <laughs> yeah, I was worried there for a second, but I thought yeah. he was going Lillard. Yeah, especially with yeah. point guard. I, mean, I, I like. Important. Yeah, I mean, I got, I like, I guess because 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 I'm a gambler, I'm going Embiid. Um, but I gotta, I gotta say, um, you know, it's. I think he still has some real. This is this season. Next season are two uh, very important seasons for him to stay healthy and to get reps and to kind of grow into his role, which is becoming more complicated and more dynamic and more layers. It's not, you know, he needs to be able to do more on the court this year and next year. And it's, I I don't specifically, I don't love uh, the coaching staff in Philly, not my favorite, Um, but they've done a, damn decent job of developing him to this point so i have faith that they will continue to develop him and um you know the fact that he's got a good nucleus around him he's got i I kind of low-key like people kind of didn't really pay super attention to the pickup of al horford but like who better to put in the same locker room with Embiid than a guy who's got that you know, he's got that mindset, that work ethic, and that skill set. Like, that was a great pickup just from a kind of like a long-term helping boost your what you're going to get out of Embiid for your franchise, I thought. Um, and uh, I would really like to see those guys kind of develop a solid bond and, you know, see Embiid learn from Horford in a way that, you know, he can kind of – because Embiid has the physical tools that are far, 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 far surpassed Horford's ceiling. But – uh, you know, Horford has a lot of the intangibles that you'd like to see and be pick up through osmosis, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm there with you. So let's jump into a little talk on the season to come. We'll start with the Eastern Conference here since we're talking Sixers a little bit. Um, well, is there any team that you can see winning the Eastern Conference, you know, representing the East in the finals besides the Bucks or the Sixers? If you had to pick one team to kind of shock the world a little bit, um, you know, maybe Philadelphia has some injuries. Maybe uh, Milwaukee misses Brogdon and just doesn't quite have everything clicking come the end of the postseason. If you had to pick one team in the west, rest of the East to take down those two teams, who's it going to be? You know, it. It. I would say this is we're talking about something that has probably a less than three percent chance. The way I handicap this, I would put the combined probability of. Uh, of Milwaukee and 
Philadelphia to win the Eastern Conference, like around 97%. Wow. Um, I'm really, really high on both of those teams. Wow. Um, the 3% is probably injury-related, too. It's like something happens to Embiid and something happens to uh, to Giannis. Like, they both aren't playing in April. Uh, and, and, you know, Simmons doesn't progress on his player development curve. Like, it's... Like, re- like, really, a lot of things have to go wrong uh, for that not to be your Eastern Conference Finals, for that not, for your, the winner. Like, you know, may- maybe, maybe the Celtics. I was going to say, this uh, is a far cry from two years ago when people were saying Brad Stevens is worth as much to a franchise as LeBron, huh? Oh, so, yeah, seriously. I mean, I think, I mean, I think we've seen Brad, Brad Stevens, we understand what he is now. Yeah. Uh, he is a regular season coach. I don't think he has... Um, the ability to elevate singular player level performance to the level it needs to uh, to overcome the talent gap that exists between the top of the player talent on the Celtics roster and the top of the player talent on either of the other two rosters, right? Like the gap between Embiid and Giannis and even Simmons to a yeah. degree and the rest of the Eastern Conference is humongous. Yeah. And especially in a playoff series like it's just it's huge and uh so 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 you'd really need the weird black swan where both those guys go down and uh and and i guess the 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 way that plays out is probably like celtics exceed expectations win 60 games in the regular season get the one seed philly and milwaukee are two and three have to play each other two and Oh, in that and that series happens to be, you know, the the sick the the Milwaukee's mismanaged, uh, you know, Giannis's load management, and he's gassed, because uh, he's you know he had to carry them a la James Harden last year, right? Right? Like 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 you you need this, you need you almost need like what happened in the Western Conference last year to play out in the East, <laughs> where you know Giannis carries the you know carries a, a poor Milwaukee team overall to a third seed and is gassed come round two and Embiid gets hurt in that series. But the Sixers win anyway. <laughs> and then yep. then the Celtics happen to have home court advantage and get to go up against a, a Sixers team without Embiid in the in the finals. That that that's and that's I mean this we are we are really black swanning here. Uh, I don't know that uh, I don't know that there are many surprises in store beyond the first and second best team in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, and it's well, someone who oh, go ahead, Noops. It's someone who, yeah, it's someone who dutched the uh, the Bucks and the Sixers to win the East. I'm very happy to hear that. I do agree. I don't know if it's quite as high as 97, percent but it's definitely what, what above kind of 90. Num- what, what are the yeah? What are the two numbers you got there? Um, let me see. The way I did it, I got so, the Sixers plus 210, and then the Bucks 155. If you balance things out, you end up with an effective minus 250. Okay, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. So that that's like uh, minus two fifty is uh, what uh, like seventy eight percent or something. I think so. Let me just I mean, isn't this check. kind of crazy compared to last year, where I would 71%. say seventy one percent? Remember how lo- much that's we were great. looking forward that to the great. Eastern Conference semifinals, and I thought that each four of those teams had like a twenty five percent chance because we were saying last year yeah. it was Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly, and Boston, right? And we couldn't wait for the Eastern Conference semis, and anything can happen. <laughs> and now, just in a year, it really seems that it's. You know, the forest is cleared from the trees, and, and, you know, two teams are emerged here. 
as, as the front yeah and, yeah and uh it's like the celtics losing irving while i am fully prepared to subscribe to that being addition by sub- subtraction for the regular season uh i think it lowers their playoff ceiling substantially See, i'm not even worried about that i think the loss of horford is what killed them Oh, same. Yeah, that that too. Yeah, I think if Horford was still on the Celtics, yeah. I would be sitting here giving you guys a pre, you know pretty impassioned argument to put the Celtics into this conversation. But not only losing him, but then losing him to Philadelphia, it just seems like that's that's a lot to overcome. And then it the is. other thing you got to consider with the Celtics, there's a small chance that Ainge might be able to make a trade and pick somebody up. You know, we say this every year, and he kind of fails <laughs> to do it or, or, or fails to try. But, you know, again, they still yeah. have some picks. They still have a bunch of young guys they could put together. I imagine Jalen Brown, after that extension, is untradeable. But you, you've got some young pieces there. You've got some picks. Maybe, maybe they somehow figure out a way to get somebody like Bradley Beal or something like that. I don't know if that makes them as competitive with the Sixers or the Bucks. I mean, again, I'm totally on board with you. I think it's like a 90% chance it's either one of those two teams. But Boston, maybe, you know, Gordon Hayward takes a big step forward, plays, you know, the entire season like he did the, the last month, the last year, basically. Um, Kemba Walker just is happy playing defense and shooting three-pointers. Tatum takes a big step forward. Yeah, but it's tough. You're starting to really just kind of build little straw men at that point. I think Stevens might look stronger this I year. I was going to ask you. Um... Oh, go ahead, Will. Oh, yeah. Udo, go ahead. I, oh, I, just I, say, I think that Stevens is going to look a little better this year. I think one of the raps that he got last year was that he can't manage a superstar player. But I'd like to see him try with a superstar player that's not Kyrie Irvin before we kind of label him as this, like, can only work, you know, on these lunch pail teams, this Butler-style offense. So... I'll be interested to see if he kind of makes a comeback this year and looks like a stronger coach again. I like that mm-hmm. angle. Okay. Yeah, I, all I was going to add was uh, the likelihood of, uh, of an Ainge making a deal is handicapped <laughs> by the collusion against him. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, like, I think GMs around the league literally have been refusing fair deals with Ainge because of the, the um, you know, the couple of deals Ainge has made where he's just embarrassed uh, and you know that goes to show you, like, yeah, great. You're you can be a great negotiator, um, but if you take too much advantage, uh, then no one's going to make a deal with you again. That's a <laughs> I think, I you know, I think you have to be kind of aware of that as as a negotiator. I think that's, uh, you know, it's it's something that I think, um, you know, gets overlooked a little bit because the Celtics clearly needed to have the pieces and. You know, and the Lakers fumbled this too. Like the Lakers exerted their, you know, their their, um, uh, you know, their wishes so severely on the Pelicans last year, and the Pelicans were like, "No, you know, screw you. We're not making this deal," and out of spite. And I honestly think that it was a lose lose when they finally did make the trade for um, when they did make the trade for Anthony Davis. Like I think the Pelicans got you know, less than they could have gotten otherwise. And I think uh, the Lakers missed out on the opportunity of having Davis on the roster for sort of a dry run. How do you fit with LeBron in in a meaningful playoff series? So I think, you know, people are assuming the Lakers are going to have it figured out by the time they get to the playoffs this year. But, um, you know, it's going to be a rocky road for them if they are up against the tougher competition in the West. And, uh, you know, I think they would have been better off if they had gotten Davis deal done last year. All right, Eastern Conference Finals, and it sounds like we've got the Bucks and the Sixers. Who wins? 
I'm gonna go Bucks. Um, I'm <laughs> a slave. I'm a slave to the arc uh, of kind of the super duper star, and I was in the face of all. We talked about this. You were a guest on the deep dive, noobs, uh, and we were talking yes, about uh, we were talking about Milwaukee and Toronto at the yep. very start of that Eastern Conference Finals, and uh, we were like, "Look, man, you know, Giannis is taking the throne from." LeBron in as the best player in the East. This is happening. It's happening. Mm-hmm. He's the MVP. It, this is, you know, he's on the same arc. And you look at what LeBron did in his what, fourth or fifth year, whatever it was, and what, and, you know, what uh, Giannis did in his fourth or fifth year. They both, they won their first playoff series. They won MVPs. The, you know, the parallels were so similar. And I think having gotten some playoff series wins under his belt, having gotten an MVP under his belt, and kind of going into the offseason knowing exactly what he needed to do to tweak his game, uh, specifically improving his three-point shot and making that more dangerous. Like, if, if he's got that figured out through this regular season, he is going to be completely unstoppable in a playoff series. So you- and. So you think yeah. he, he takes the mantle, basically the best player in the league, grabs it, and in that series, it, you know, it's it's Embiid and Simmons really versus him, and he just outshines the two of them. Yeah, that there's that there's virtually no adjustment you can make to stop him from getting whatever he needs to get down the stretch in a close game, not unlike what we saw Kawhi do last year. Right. I mean, it was like when when that when it was high leverage. In those, you know, in those super, in the deciding games when it was a high leverage moment in the Eastern Conference playoffs, Kawhi had the ball and there was nothing you were going to do about it. Like there was literally no adjustment you could make uh, to make him take a bad shot, to make him, you know, to to keep him from, uh, you know, from getting exactly where he wanted on the court when he wanted it with the ball where he wanted it. Like it was. Uh, it was masterful to see it play out live. You knew it was coming, and because you've seen Kawhi do it before with the, with the Spurs, and you knew he could do it. Uh, and I think we learned that Giannis can do it this year. Hey, even when Kawhi was taking bad shots, like fadeaway threes in the corner <laughs> at the end of the game with a huge defender over him, they were going in. Not that not I really that, can't. Not I, I can't remember. remember I can't. I, I sure can't remember anything like that. You're gonna have to refresh <laughs> my. My memory with like a YouTube clip or something. Well, you know, Will, if you go to uh, deepdivemedia.co, you can find a little article that uh, somebody by the name of Noobs wrote in a very uh, distressed state of mind about that event. So uh, feel free to refresh your memory there. All right. um, Let's jump into the Western Conference then a little bit. But before we do, one more Eastern Conference question spread. I remembered one more thing that we disagreed about. It was specifically in the Southeast Division. Um, spread for some reason, Whale has jumped off our, our oh, beloved yeah, Orlando true. Magic and is all over the Miami Heat this year. Who do you think is the better of those two teams this season? Oh, man. It's probably the Heat. I'm going to have to go with the Heat. I know for the sake of kind of pull, tugging on the heartstrings, the Magic were uh, so imp- so impressive and so awesome down the stretch last year. Um, but... They got career years out of Vucevic and Augustine and guys who I don't expect to be able to replicate that level of performance again, uh, especially not just on back-to-back years with now the league has kind of gotten a chance to figure out, oh, man, 
how did the magic do this? Like, you know, if you're, if you are Spolstra and you missed out on the playoffs last year and you look and you're like, how in the hell did the magic catch us and beat us several times down the stretch in deciding games? Uh, how did that happen? I think he will have kind of figured out some ways to go about, um, you know, it, you know, changing, changing that specific matchup. And, um, I would expect for sure the you know the acquisition of Jimmy Butler to be pretty damn important. He's a, he's he's a badass um, and differentiating factor at end of game, close games. So I think they'll win games that they were losing without that kind of a player last year. Um, and I would expect to see uh, the Heat prevail in the Southeast. But uh, it hurts my heart to say it. For sure. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> well, there you go, Spread. Yeah, got you got one. one. Isn't it crazy that Charlotte let Steve Clifford go? I think that was a big thing to do with it, too. I don't I mean, if they had someone better to replace him with, but, I mean, I thought there was a significant drop-off in Charlotte's coaching, and I thought that was a big reason why Orlando made a step forward. 100%. Clifford is a super underrated coach. I actually have a little sprinkle on him to win Coach of the Year this year. He was at like 60-1 to 1 or something. And I just think there's a world in which that team kind of pops and, and he looks, you know, finally gets some of the recognition he deserves. Um, all right. Spread, any other questions for Whale on the uh, East? No, we jump he's from the West? West Coast. We got more, we got more takes for out here. All right, so similar to the Eastern Conference, we kind of narrowed things down to the Bucks and the Sixers. Um, I'll ask the, a little more open version of the question this time, Will. In the Western Conference, what is kind of your short list of teams that, that you think seriously have a chance to win the conference and make the finals? Man. I am going to punt a bit on this because I have to see some of these teams play before I can really... I have made a bet uh, that I would consider a meaningful bet uh, in the West other than grabbing some early numbers on Denver and Utah who I thought were just criminally underpriced mm -hmm. uh, on the open. Um, I I guess I'll make my case for Denver uh, as like kind of like the a very weak planting of the flag <laughs> um, in a lot of the same ways that we saw Giannis be able to take over a series and just dominate. Uh, last year against the Celtics, for instance. Um, I would expect that uh, Jokic has got that in him this year. Um, and he's a very, you know, I guess the his ability to go whatever it was, like, what did he play like 50 minutes uh, in that quadruple overtime game against yeah. Portland? Something absolutely stupid, like an impossible amount of minutes. And then you, you, you know, you look at that and you're like, wow, how did he do that? And then you think like, fade this guy next game like he's going to be absolutely dead and he came out and he was just as good as he was the day it was before super impressive like, how is this how is this possible like like if he's got that kind of a motor if he's got that you know that endurance to be able to kick in uh when the going gets tough in the playoffs that's a guy that i want to be involved with from a future standpoint um so I, i'm i'm looking for Jokic to be a differentiator in the playoffs in the western conference i think he can do it um we, they, we we talked at length last year about how the Nuggets were a regular season team and they weren't going to get it done in the playoffs. And it was kind of wild to see them beat uh, Popovich. I know they had a much more talented roster, but I was still surprised uh, that they got by the Spurs. Uh, and then, you know, the game was there for them to take it in Game 7 to go to their first ever conference finals. Uh, but uh, it wasn't their time. And Dame got his opportunity to play for the conference finals, so good for him. Uh, but this is uh, this is the Nuggets, 
you know, take a step forward, in my opinion, in terms of playoff success. They get to their Western Conference Finals uh, via a, a, a good seed. I think you're probably talking about the Nuggets as a one or two seed, just because their schedule's pretty easy. They're, um, you know, they have a built-in home court advantage with the altitude. They have a built-in travel advantage in the Western Conference being somewhat centrally located. So Nuggets are going to be kind of my loosely flag-planted team. Uh, we just need uh, Jokic to stay healthy and uh, you know be in game shape come April. Yeah, I think the big case there is the chance that they have a real they have a real chance to be the number one seed in the West. And I think that home court advantage, especially in Denver late in the season when legs are tired and recovery time is precious, it's tough to be in the altitude there. And they've been playing there all season. Spread, what do you think? What's what's your short list look? I mean, you know, if I had to pick the teams that I am taking seriously, Denver misses the cut for me. I've got both Los Angeles teams and the Rockets. I could see maybe Utah. You know, well, I like what you said. We got to wait and see what some of these things look like. I, I think that Utah has um, a lot of talent and, and the ability to kind of gel. And you know, they it's a it's a nice team. Conley is probably the right age and the right stage of his career to be playing next to somebody like Donovan Mitchell. You've got Rudy Gobert, who in a league where big men struggle to stay on the floor makes such a difference defensively. He really covers up everything for everybody else. Picked up some great shooting this year with Bogdanovich. Ingles will be better again this year. But what do you think, Spread? What is your uh, your group of Western well, hey, my dark winners? Ho- my dark horse pretty much went out the window today, huh? Did you see the Clay Thompson news? Because, you know, yeah, I've been kind of beating that drum all year that, hey, if those three get healthy, you know, plus Russell, that's a team that no one's going to want to play in the playoffs. But it looks like that's not going to happen. Um, and I also – I think it's really going to uh, – turn out on like how these matchups go i think this last week's going to be crazy because i'm thinking if you're the lakers or the rockets utah is going to be very tough to play against um whereas i think teams like denver and the clippers would would match up better against utah and my main reason is thinking is is who's going to struggle with having gobert as rim protecting teams and that's uh la and houston because they like to get to the rim whereas uh, Denver and the Clippers are going to be more shooting from three, and they, they can kind of uh, nullify his ability as, as a rim protector, and, and they're not as bothered by that. So I think these matchups are tough. I was actually looking at, you know, if Utah plays the Lakers, I think that's going to be a very tough matchup for the style that, that the Lakers want to play. Hmm. So we've been talking about the West a lot in some of our groups, and there seems to be a consensus eight playoff teams here in the West, those eight teams being Clippers, Lakers, Rockets, Warriors, Jazz, Nuggets, Trailblazers, and Spurs. Can you see any of those eight teams not making the playoffs? I mean, I'm worried. We talked about this today. I'm worried about the the Warriors for sure. <laughs> um, you're, you know, we, we saw – once you got to the finals last year, when you're asking Steph Curry to carry that much of the offensive load, he's eventually going to run out of gas. Um, and now you're going to do that for an 82-game season um, where his only relief from a scoring standpoint is going to be D'Angelo Russell, who I don't 100% know how they fit on the floor together. Uh, I'm sure they're both talented superstar players, super-duper-duper star with Steph Curry. They'll figure it out, but it's a weird fit. Uh, it's yeah, a poor fit the defensively. They're going to get exposed guard play. You can't hide either of those guys. Warriors uh, overs for they're on days. The floor together. Yeah, that's yeah, without a doubt. Um, and so yeah, if it if it comes down to a scoring contest every night, and you're asking Steph Curry to average 40 points a game over the duration of the 82 game season, he's going to break down at some point. Um, 
and that's a huge worry because he, you know, without him, if you're like, oh man, we gotta now we're now we're a team that's built on Draymond Green as a central piece, uh, you're you're in trouble. Um, his 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 offensive performance has degraded faster than any player I can remember over the last three four years, and uh, I wouldn't think you could count on him to do much offensively in the regular season this year. Um, which uh, and you know at at their, you know their big men are are pretty serious questions as well. So it's a uh, it's not going to be a soft landing for them uh, this year without Clay Thompson and with uh, Durant gone. So, so I would I would worry a little bit about teams around the league kind of smelling blood and kind of exacting a little revenge after and danced on and celebrated the last five. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's a good exactly. Angle. All right. So if the yeah. Warriors are out, who's in? Kings, Mavericks, Pelicans. I know the Zion injury is tough. Maybe the Timberwolves to shock the world and make the playoffs. Who takes Golden State's spot in the final eight? I would look at either the Kings or the Mavericks, I believe. Uh, I It's not crazy to expect a sophomore slump from Doncic, um, but he also might be the next kind of up-and-coming superstar in this league. And he takes any meaningful step forward, and they are going to be just as dangerous as they were, uh, as you know, at times last year, uh, including you know injecting a guy who I think is you know a differentiating player, and you know, Kristaps Porzingis. Um, he's obviously going to have some serious load management, and you may not see him play more than say 60 games. Um, but the games he'll be out there with Doncic, you have some two two dynamic scorers. Uh, two, um, you know, two differentiating players, and that's huge. Uh, if it only takes 44 to 46 wins to get into the playoffs, I could see the Mavs doing it. Um, and then uh, the Kings, who I think I, w- I would have been more optimistic for them if they had done a little bit better in free agency. If they had, I didn't love the Luke Walton hire, um, and I'm a little concerned about uh how much uh you know you're relying on this youth movement i don't know what's uh spreads a king's guy or is in the king's area or am i i think i think the luke walton uh criticism is is definitely warranted i thought they did pretty well in free agency i thought they addressed their two major deficiencies which were rim protection uh by getting holmes and deadman and then adding some depth on the wing by adding Ariza, uh, just because, I mean, they weren't going to make a huge splash. So I thought the free agency did pretty well, but I think that your uh, Walton concerns are definitely warranted. Yeah, I guess I was mostly just thinking about what what happened. With so you think Martins. that's an overpay? So <laughs> I didn't no, get no, that. No Kings fan does, but nationally I, it seems to be considered a huge overpay. I, yeah, I mean, I, like, he, like, we, like we've seen this story before about players at this stage uh, with his skill set. And I don't know that you can expect him to be a meaningful contributor for 82 mm, games this year. Um, kind of kind of, just kind of waiting for him to hit the wall. So uh, I, but maybe, you think you know, the Otto Porter Jr. Uh, is better? Because I kind of put him in the Otto Porter, like, overpaid wing that still gets the job done. I see. I would have liked Otto Porter over Barnes okay. uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, mostly just because I mean, isn't Otto Porter like three or four years younger? Yeah, a little younger. Barnes is thirty. Oh, Barnes is only twenty-seven. I guess. All right, so maybe maybe I am maybe I'm a little ahead of uh, expecting Barnes oh, yeah. to be. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. is only twenty-six. Yeah, so Barnes is only a year older. So, 
Yeah, they're only, there's only a year separating them. So that, that, that makes them, I guess, maybe a little bit closer. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am overselling uh, his regression, and uh, he, could be partic- he could be dangerous. It just feels like he's been around a hell of a lot longer, maybe just because he was in a yeah. higher spotlight role. Um, All right. Interesting. Final question here. You know, we, it seems like you've got the Bucks coming out of the East. Who comes out of the West, and who wins the finals, Will? Yeah, so I, a couple West, a couple more West comments for you guys. Uh, I, to me, it's gonna it's gonna be entirely, and this is super cliche. <laughs> it's like like wildly, embarrassingly cliche, but it's all about matchups. Uh, and whoever matches up with who in the playoffs is it's gonna be like rock paper scissors pretty much in the Western Conference um, until we you know we're gonna be we could re-record this podcast in like March mid March. And not know the seating in the West, and I would say the same thing. <laughs> like it's all, it's going to be depending on matchups, unless you know, unless like somebody just absolutely goes out there and kind of, you know, like 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 a like a player that we are not expecting takes an enormous leap and and kind of becomes you know a second or third banana on a contending team. Uh, that could change the landscape, I guess. Um, but I do think it, it is going to be pretty matchup dependent. Like I like I'm I I would I would have been more concerned. Uh, I, I agree with your take that the Jazz are a horrible mashup for the Lakers and that that's a nightmare for them if they get matched up in the series. But I think the Jazz is a nightmare if they get matched up with the Rockets uh, just based on historical kind of performance. I think the, the Rockets are the Jazz kryptonite, and I think the Rockets are in deep trouble if they yeah. match up with the Lakers. <laughs> and I think the, I think, uh, the Clippers are a problem for the Rockets. I think the Rockets are a problem for the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are a problem for the Blazers. I think the Nuggets. I think the Blazers are uh, are probably the team that I would put the least amount of likelihood that they can, you know, they they can get by. But the, the, we know the Blazers are a problem for the Rockets. So yeah, I mean, the, like there's there's a weird, um, yeah, there's a weird rock paper scissor kind of transitive property that's going to play out in the Western Conference uh, that's going to make it pretty matchup dependent, but. I, I can tell you I don't expect uh, that things are just going to go swimmingly for the Lakers. I don't think that they're going to be in the conversation uh, come April because they still have so much, like, they, they they have to transition from LeBron's team to Anthony Davis's team for them to be a title winner, in my opinion. And all of all signs point to LeBron's not ready for uh, which means, you know, end of game scenarios are going to play out where LeBron's taking a bad shot, or you know, LeBron's has a killer turnover, or can't make a free throw, uh, and you know, I think they're going to have to learn the hard way that Anthony Davis needs his, the ball in his hands at the end of these games, um, and uh, they learned that this year the hard way. So, you're you're too early for the Lakers and uh, and the Clippers. I have got to see it to believe it that this is a team that's w- well rostered enough, top to bottom, to win a title. I know that Jerry West is a guy that you do not want to sell short on. He knows how to put a roster together, and he did some pretty amazing things in securing Kawhi Leonard in the first place. Uh, and if Paul George returns to his peak performance level, uh, they're going to be nasty. But I still got to see that to believe it. I think the Clippers are being wildly overvalued in the market right now, um, and I would like to, uh, I would like to, not have to sweat them in a series if I have like a if I have 
if I if I end up with pretty significant positions on like the the Nuggets and the Jazz, for instance, just because I think those are your one and two seeds. If I end up with some significant positions on those guys, I would like to not sweat a uh, a uh, a series against the Clippers. So hopefully they get popped early um, because I, I'm they 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 scare me, but I, I need to see it. Um, and last kind of. Uh, fun little Western Conference tinfoil hat conspiracy theory comment that I'd love to get your take on. Um, when they when the Rockets traded for Westbrook, I was like, oh, hell yeah, that's a huge upgrade over Chris Paul's, you know, the corpse of Chris Paul. Uh, he's going to be able to take over a huge, take a huge amount of the load off of uh, off of Harden's plate in the regular season. Like this is great. And then you can have like a dynamic, like I, like I want to see like January, February, March, James Harden yeah. in May and April, and right, right, like like if we like if we get that guy in the playoffs, like the Rockets are 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 not losing. Um, he just has to get there intact, right? right? Which he can't do if he's you know if he's carrying the entire franchise for you know months on end, and and so when they made that trade, I was like, oh, this is. Perfect. Rockets finally going to get there because they're going to have a fresh Harden in uh, in the spring. Uh, and then the Daryl Morey stuff with China has really like shaken my confidence in that. It's a too lot. many. It's one too many weird little things. You got the Westbrook Harden thing. You got Dan Tony with uh, <laughs> uh, you know being a lame duck coach. Then you bring in the China thing, Can't, and yep. now there's there's yep. all this little stuff at work. And I think you're right. There's starting to be a lot of questions, but. Uh, I don't yeah, know. So here's here's the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Then uh, the NBA specififically oh, keeps yeah. the Rockets from winning because they're oh, not going to be able to get finals on in China. That's right. Well, oh wow! Right? So you're thinking we get to like, the Western Conference Finals and we got the Rockets and it's just going to be your ca- your cast of refs that just it's all there. The Rockets oh, are yes. zero and six, zero oh, and twelve, oh, zero and thirteen. Oh, these three oh. guys on the floor. Oh yes. Oh yes. I mean, I honestly like I don't I don't know that they're repairing that uh, relationship anytime soon. No, uh, which not. if if the Rockets are in the finals, like they literally are not going to put them on in China, which means that there is like a billion dollar incentive or something stupid to make sure that the Rockets are not in the finals, which is crazy. Uh, so I don't yeah, think that's well, too tin foil. I'll tell you what, I don't think the NBA is going to have to crazy do a lot to because me. I think a lot of I understand <laughs> Wales' point with with Westbrook, and I completely agree. But I think part of the reason that Harden looks tired in the playoffs is that he doesn't get his little ticky tack fouls that he's used to getting. So he's not getting to the free throw line where you get a chance to number one catch your breath, and then number two, uh, you know, get a nice rhythm into your shot. So he's not getting those nice, easy points, and I think he gets frustrated, and the game is going quicker because it's just not stopping every single time he goes to the lane. It's almost like now he knows if he wants a break, he just needs to beat his man, and he's going to get you know a minute to rest and catch his breath, and he's not getting that. I think a lot of Harden's playoff failures just come from the fact that they're not going to give you every uh, nudge and every little grab in the playoffs, and I just don't think he's able to adjust to that. All right, well, so it sounds like you've crossed off both L.A. teams and the Rockets. Are the Nuggets going to make the finals? I think. Is it Bucks-Nuggs? If I have to go That's there, a yeah. Hot take. If I have to call a team now, I'm looking for That's Bucks-Nuggs. That's a hot take. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we've already had problems with fires in, in, in California. I don't know if we can take another hot take like that. 
Wow, I like it though. <laughs> I I mean honestly, honestly in a in a year where there was this much turnover across the league, like I think we have to look yeah. for the teams that had kind of the most stability. And you know that you're right that the you know the the Bucks lost uh, um, the Bucks lost Brogdon, and he's probably an important. And they piece, played most of the end the of the year without Brogdon, and uh, and they finished pretty yeah. strong. Um, yeah, yep, the Nuggets went, th- and then we've been. Another thing we love in the chat is the Michael Porter Jr. aspect, um, because you talk about a player coming on. I think the yep, two players that, that have the yeah, most chance to come on um, and really make a difference would be Porter Jr. and then Zach Collins seems like another one that he could kind of develop and turn Portland into a, a real contender, and not just a, a fun team to bet over, overs on every night while Noop's sleeping. I think <laughs> are we going to see Nurkic this season? Uh, I think like halfway through the year he'll be back. Yeah, a little after Christmas. All right, that that changes Portland's yeah. complexion and and ceiling. Remember when Nurkic and yeah, Jokic were considered to be around All right, the same level, and they they couldn't decide who to play. And in fact, uh, I do. Nurkic was starting <laughs> over Jokic. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Because they had to trade him. I think they traded him, right? Yeah. Yep. No, All I right, just want to thank any you other so questions much for coming for Whale? on. This is so much fun, especially the modeling, because I'm kind of working on my rudimentary model, trying to make it a little more complicated. Uh, but you made me feel better about the simplicity. And just, uh, you know, this is my first time getting to pod with you. You know, I, I did the, we did the Ball Boys crossover, so I've, I've done a pod with Andy. But, but uh, so this is a lot of fun, oh, and, and nice. it's really great to have you on. I love it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it, and uh, best luck this season. Keep up the great work, and uh, look forward to kind of pro- promoting this and seeing where it goes. Because, like I said, you guys are filling a perfect market inefficiency. This is a niche that needs to be covered, uh, and uh, couldn't be happier that it's guys that I know and respect that are doing it. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll be sure to have you back on a couple times this season just to check in. Be sure to follow Whale if you don't already at Whale underscore Capper. Subscribe to his podcast, The Deep Dive Pod. It's truly one of the most excellent podcasts, especially from a gambling perspective that you can find. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. We'd love a rating or review on whatever app you're using to listen. And have an Good excellent NBA season. <laughs>